Are you ready? Hey, you think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down! Welcome to I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting, talking mostly sports, mostly in the SEC, and mostly with the Bama bias. And now, time for your hosts. Tom was a regular starter on his peewee football teams. After high school, he took a relatively unknown intramural college football team and had them one win from the playoffs. Late in his college career, he was a two-sport star and relinquished his college eligibility to enter the NBA draft. As an undrafted free agent, he turned to sports gambling and poker to make ends meet. Now he's here to share his life experiences and general sports knowledge with the world. He's Tom Sims, he's Rush Chairman, and he's damn glad to meet ya. His sidekick, who hails from Parts Unknown, Red Bay, he claims he can beat any listener at Galka, which is probably correct considering you guys have like eight listeners. He has three Fortnite Victory Royale solo wins. He's been known to weeble and wobble, but he's never fallen down. He has the face for radio and the voice for newspaper, Mr. Jason Tiffin. Welcome to episode 19 of I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting. I'm half of your host, Jason Tiffin, my co-host, Tom Sims. Tom, you recognize this song? <laughs> I'm still alive, baby. I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah. Bama is still alive. Thank you, Oregon, for uh, losing to Arizona State, and Bama is still alive. Although, uh, as we're going to discuss pretty early here, the, the committee has their own ideas of what that uh, lifeline may be. But uh, welcome in. Uh, we're down to the last regular season week of college football, and then we have championship week. Uh, Tom, how was your weekend? It was fine, man. We had early Thanksgiving, so uh, lots of family, lots of food, lots of uh, family and food, so... We were we were good. I'm ready to I'm ready to kick it off. I've been excited all week. This is uh this season has flew by, my friend. Flew by. I think it's flown, but yes, your point stands. Arch, you have word of the day. <laughs> What's your word of the day? I'm going with cantaloupe. I'm going with the alternate meeting of cantaloupe, in which uh you might find some dictionaries refer to it as a moron or a <laughs> dumb ass and if i use it in a sentence i can say you know the things that come out of danny Canale's mouth are shocking and unbelievable he's such a cantaloupe <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, i i can definitely use it in a sentence uh thanksgiving is two days away and i hope that no one brings cantaloupe to the to the dinner table uh, because if they do, I will consider them a cantaloupe. <laughs> hey, it works both ways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go into winners and losers. And Tom and I talked off the air. I know y'all are shocked that we talked previously because we're <laughs> we're so ill prepared. You'd think we'd be better prepared with a a little pregame prep, pre-show prep, but we never are. But the, we're going into winners and losers. And the thing at this juncture of the of the season, you know, the winners sometimes don't even win the game and the losers sometimes don't even uh, lose the game so i think y'all have got the gist of where we're going so um winners uh, we've only got one this week and it's alabama i'm gonna let tom lead off and i'm sure some of this is gonna change based on what we've the rankings just come out it's it's uh it's seven o'clock here where we're taping so the uh the rankings have come out for the next to last or no second to next to last i guess um yep uh cfp rankings and we're going to react to that organically tom take it away yeah i love it when we do stuff organically 
Yeah, Bama, Bama did what they needed to Saturday with Mac Jones. It was a predictable result given the competition, though. The real winning for Bama started when the Arizona State Sun Devils got out to the big lead against Oregon, hung on for the win. Now, Oregon's been a uh, media darling the last couple of weeks and were proclaimed they were heads and shoulders better than Bama and would get in the playoff, blah, 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 blah. Well, it looks like only one of those teams even has a chance of getting through the season with one loss as they went down hard over the weekend. Now, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what I think is really the playoff committee's job in that room because that's what it all this boils down to. I think reasonable people will agree that it's to pick the four best teams in the country for the playoff. I mean, it sounds like a simple simple job but and it really is but you know where everybody gets tangled up is how do you go about picking those teams and and this is where you know a lot of narratives have been pushed over the years and people like to jump up and down and scream about stuff to latch on to uh you know some of those include winning your own conference or you ain't played nobody, Paul, or you had your shot and you lost, your conference is overrated, your conference is underrated, you played a cupcake in November, etc., etc., etc. Well, guess what? That's not how this thing's supposed to work. The bottom line, in my opinion, is, and this should really be everybody's opinion if they would just just think about it in, 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 a, in a correct manner, but... All teams line up and play the other teams on their schedule every year for one reason, one reason only. It's really to show the committee how good you are. I mean, obviously it makes the committee's job easier if you are beating tougher competition. You know, if you're playing a a top five team every week and you're winning every week, it's pretty easy to tell whether you're good or not. But everybody doesn't have the luxury of playing. And that's not just one or two teams. Everybody doesn't have the luxury of playing, you know, top ten teams week in and week out. So at the end of the day, you know, your, your schedule's not going to cooperate every time. And so it's not really your fault that you had the same schedule you had last year. And last year, five of your teams in your schedule were ranked in the top 15. And this year, they all suck. That's not your fault. But it just makes it tougher on the committee to evaluate a team. Now, all you can really do is play your schedule, create a resume for them to look at. Now, that resume will tell the committee how good you looked against weak teams, medium teams, tough teams. Doesn't matter. You they're gonna you can see how good a team is regardless of who you're looking at, who whoever they're playing. So, you know, if the committee is comparing you against other teams that have played the same teams that's a legitimate comparison i mean it's and that's really all you have to go on is just you know you look at the squad and how good does that team look it's definitely tougher to convey the strength of your team if your schedule's weaker but if you're really good that will also be easy to see so here's a four instance for you and you know where i'm going with this Bama's closest win all season is 19 points. That's as close as anybody has been to them, uh, with the exception of the lone loss. And that was Texas A&M. And that was in College Station. Now, by comparison, Clemson played A&M at home in Clemson, won the game by 14. Georgia played them last week at home between the hedges, one by six. You know, to further this point, Georgia also lost at home to South Carolina. Bama, what did they do? They went on the road, beat Carolina by 24. I mean, this is this is how you compare teams that don't get to play head-to-head. I mean, that's how you compare anything. You, can, you compare it to how good something else is done versus how good... Somebody else did the same task. I don't care if you're painting a house or, or or playing football or basketball or fishing in the creek. You know, I mean, it's it, one guy's going to do it better than the other, and you should be able to see that. Now, 
I was really disappointed with the committee's rankings tonight. Really disappointed. I give them the benefit of the doubt of using that strategy last week of going, okay, Georgia and Alabama really only had one game in common, one common opponent. That was South Carolina. And, yes, that is a huge discrepancy in the way those two teams played. But I said, you know, maybe they're just saying, hey, they had an off night and they've looked fairly good so far. Now that you've got two legitimate SEC opponents that Georgia had home field advantage on both of them and really squeaked by both of them and and lost one, squeaked by the other, and we hammered both of those teams on the road. So that's a clear misstep by the committee. Uh, I, I hope they start remembering how to do their job because, you know, if you depend on the nut jobs like Brando and Cannell to do it for you, that's you're never going to have a reasonable, I guess you're never going to have a reasonable result at the end of the day. And, and, and I, I wanted to say level heads would prevail, and, and after tonight's rankings, I'm not so sure. Well, you know, thinking about it, and I can tell you I can trash my notes on this first topic. I'll, I will read you one thing I wrote down. Do we really see Utah getting the nod over Bama? I don't. And if you're not familiar with the rankings, they were one, Ohio State. They jumped LSU. LSU's at two. Clemson's at three. Georgia, four. Bama is at five. And then Utah is at six. So, you know, I think we are. Last week we said we didn't really get dinged for losing two, but now I think we are. Because, like you said, after especially after this week with A&M, there was no reason to leave Bama under Georgia. There's none whatsoever. And, and they've done it. And you can say, well, and, and most people are going to say, well, Georgia and LSU play, that will take care of itself. Well, what it, but what it does, and that is true, but what it does is it puts Bama at five, four, five and Utah at six. It is much easier to justify, like say you had Bama at four, Georgia at five, Utah at six. It is much easier to justify dropping Bama or moving Utah up only one spot, or well, it'd be it'd be jumping over. They would move two spots, but they would jump an idle Bama if they were to beat Oregon, and then of course Georgia would fall back, prefer or more more likely below five, and it just looks better. It looks better going from six when four loses than going from six when five loses and then four doesn't play. And I think that's what's happening. And to me, the rankings also, what they've done is they have gerrymandered where they can they – can, well, they, have, they can gerrymander the results. They got Ohio State at one. They're protecting themselves. Because so, if, they leave, if they leave LSU at one, um, LSU is going to play Georgia to end the year. They play A&M, which is a solid, solid team. They've got losses, but look at who their losses are too. So you've got LSU closing out with A&M and then a number four Georgia, and you have Ohio State closing out with ranked Michigan. I don't even know where they're ranked. I mean, top 15, I guess. And then Minnesota, who is going to only have one loss. So if you don't put LSU at number two this week, when are you going to put them number two? You can't put them number two after they beat Georgia. So what they've done now is if the committee says, okay, after all the the dust has settled, the final weekend, championship weekend is over, and Utah wins, they're like, okay, no problem. LSU goes to one because they beat beat Georgia. We're putting Utah at four. They'll match up in Atlanta. Or let's just say Utah loses, and Oklahoma, we will discuss them in the next – in the loser segment – uh, if Utah loses, then they can say, oh, well, Georgia and LSU wins, of course. We're all, we're, we have to have some understanding that all our scenarios tonight are, are saying LSU, law, or LSU beats Georgia because if Georgia wins or if Minnesota wins, all this is a mute point, mute, M-U-T-E, <laughs> mute point. <clears throat> so if L, you know, LSU wins, uh, wins out – and Utah loses to Oregon. They're like, okay, well, we don't want that rematch in the uh, in in Atlanta because it's just for a number of reasons. And uh, we're going to put Bama at four. We're going to leave Ohio State at one. And in, that would be an interesting question for another podcast. Where would Ohio State choose to play Bama? Would that because they get the choice? I always thought that it was geographically. Uh, I thought the number one team had the geographic advantage, but I have been informed that they get a choice does do. does ohio state choose to play bama in atlanta 
I mean, you know, good luck with that. I mean, Ohio State travels, but trust me, Bama has more access to those corporate <clears throat> tickets than Ohio State fans are going to. Mm-hmm. So that is my that's my biggest disappointment in the committee tonight. It, leave us at five, that's fine, but putting Ohio flipping Ohio State LSU is obvious to me why they did it, so they can gerrymander the results after the fact. Gerrymander would have been an awesome word of the day. Yeah, you've now that already we've used it, hammered we it cannot three or four times. Yeah. Are you saying I'm being redundant? No, but I sir. Feel like you are. That's such a <laughs> that's such a cantaloupe move on your part. All right, losers. Uh, Oregon. I had, and again, I can scratch this part out. I had Oregon slash Pac-12. Uh, the Pac-12 is not a loser anymore, uh, according to the committee. Utah, who has uh, a a bad, they, they're talking about Utah's running back going out early in the USC game. I just heard that the. The the narratives are already starting pumping Utah up, and that's what ESPN they don't they don't operate to break even. They operate to make money, and the more clicks you can get from Bama fans, the the more profitable you're going to be. But uh, you know, I, I got news for them. USC beat them with a third string quarterback who got he did not know he was going to play that day. You know, he he went into the game as the number two quarterback. And the reason I say number three, because the starter got hurt in week one. We've already covered this. It's not like he he was like Mac Jones this week. Mac Jones has all week to prepare. This kid was taking second string uh, reps all during practice. The starter goes out, which bumps him to the to the number one, you know, QB one mid-game, and he he torches him. Yeah, mm-hmm. he plays really well. But what was funny with the Oregon, and let's get back on topic. Oregon is the big loser because I really think they were going to be, if if we, even if we didn't, even if we beat Auburn, if we did not dominate Auburn, and I don't know that we can do that, Oregon was going to be the odds-on favorite to get that number four spot, and uh, so they're done now with two losses. And I tell you, it was hilarious. I was on, I was on the old Twitter machine uh, when it was when they got down twenty-four to three. And uh, Dan Wolken was already spinning about how, oh, you look, watch out for Utah, watch out for Oklahoma. You know, Heather Dennis, she just tore up about it. I mean, I don't know why they hate Bama so much. I can understand that, okay, yeah, maybe you want some fresh, fresh meat in there. But here's the deal. If the CFP existed from 1988 to the year 2000, do you know how many years Florida State would have made the Final Four? Every one of them. They would have been in the playoff every year because every year they finished in the in the top four. They, I, I'm guessing I hadn't actually looked back at the rankings. You know, maybe they were number seven, one bowl season, but they and, didn't play and anybody. Won the bowl game. <laughs> oh well, yeah. You know, they, maybe they won the bowl game and got to number four. But the point is, you know, from '88 to 2000, that is a 13 college football season uh, span. They would have been in the playoffs at least ten times, if not all thirteen. So, anyway, that that's I guess that kind of wraps it up. Um, I, I, you know, the the and another big loser after the rankings is Oklahoma because they, uh, you know, they are are given little shot now. They play Oklahoma State and uh, Stillwater this weekend. Oklahoma State, I don't even know what the rankings are. I'm so ill prepared, Tom. But I think uh, you know, no one really expects twenty three or something like that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean they're nothing, you know, not a big deal. Baylor is in the double digit, I guess. They I don't know, they they might have moved they might have cracked the top ten this week. I didn't look at I just looked at the top six of the playoff committee and I, I just I'm assuming Oklahoma is seven. But, you know, they're out. I mean, they are and that's the thing. The committee is putting all their eggs in the Utah basket to keep Bama out, and best of luck to you. Yeah, well, Oklahoma's still got a, a little bit of a shot, but they need more. They need more chaos than than the rest of the teams. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, Bama could certainly lose to Auburn this weekend. Oregon could certainly beat Utah in the Pac-12 championship. Now that that's that's what really hurt the Pac-12 right there. The Pac-12 was going to be in a position where not only would they have been guaranteed a one-loss champion if those two could have got the championship game, but also that was going to be a huge resume boost that they were going to tout up to the winner. You know, the winner was just going to finish the season up with a top six or seven win in the nation, depending on, you know, how those final Mm -hmm. rankings were. And so, yeah, it it would have been a tough – it would have been a tough thing to overcome for somebody like Alabama when you're at home and the country is getting to see number 
what would it have been? Number six versus number seven. Or yeah, number yeah. five versus number six. Or the way they've been ranking stuff, they might have jumped us before that game. So that was a huge, huge loss for, for the Pac-12. And uh, and so and, – and now they – it's fully on the table, and I heard somebody on uh, old Feinbaum uh, talking today, and, and you know, and they were of course touting Utah, and they were, I think they were saying some of the same rhetoric as you were about the USC game and such, and then and then they made the comment that you know, and they're going to be favored in the Pac-12 title game. I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if they will be favored mm-hmm. in that Pac-12 title mm-hmm. game, I don't regardless think so. of Oregon having two losses. I think Oregon's a small favorite in that game. That's just me guesstimating, but you know, I'm I'm pretty decent at that. So we'll see. Um, just the, just not a desirable spot for them because they they could definitely be completely eliminated with no argument if Oregon wins that game. So. We'll we'll see. I hate it. I hate it's not in our control. It's a very stressful time of year when yeah. when it's out of your control. We're not used to this. How do other teams manage? I don't know. I think they I think they go ahead and drop a couple early games so they don't have to sweat it out. <laughs> <laughs> after uh after fifteen and a half minutes of bloviating, uh Auburn will end everybody's misery this week by beating us at our Jordan Jordan Hare. Not to be confused with Jordan Hare Stadium this weekend. Yeah. Uh, we we hope that doesn't happen, but you know, a, after all the weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh that was pr- probably what will happen. So anyway, that wraps up our winners and losers, and uh, we're going to move on to the meaningless topic. And I gave Tom a choice of meaningless topics, and I gave him two, and he chose the one that I hoped he would choose. And this is going to be just a real, real treat there, Tom. Real, kind of like the Jelly the Month Club. It's going to going to be a real treat. Uh, the year was 1992. Oh, yeah, crack one open for this story, my yeah, friend. Yeah, I knew I was going to need the one. It was 1992, and uh, I was 18 years old. I was in college. I went to junior college because uh, a, a young filly kept me in Red Bay. Not uh, That was my choice, and it was a big mistake. Another, another story for another podcast. But Alabama uh, was ranked number one by one publication, Sport Magazine. Doubt it even exists anymore, but I remember Gobernum had it. Propped up against a Harry's bucket in Bent Tree number one fifteen, uh, the whole year because they were the only publication that had David Palmer on the cover, and uh, <clears throat> you know we were not very good on offense that year. I'd love to see Barker's uh, touchdown pass total that year, <laughs> probably like eight ten, but I mean we had a phenomenal defense. <laughs> we had a we had a defense that two thousand eleven Bama is jealous of. And uh, you know we kept we winning we were winning games. I think we beat Tennessee seventeen thirteen. We beat Louisiana Tech thirteen to nothing. No offensive touchdowns. David Palmer ran a punt back, and we kicked two field goals. I know what you're thinking. How did we make two field goals? That's it. It is amazing. Uh, they had Willie Rofe. Louisiana Tech had Willie Rofe, an All American left tackle, played for the Saints forever. And uh, well, they just they really held uh, Copeland. And, he really held Copeland and Curry in check that game. But, you know, we, we kept winning, and we had to play the SEC championship game that year. And any other year, we'd been in the, in the finals, uh, in the championship, you know, in the Sugar Bowl, ranked number two. We had to beat Florida. We did, as, as we know. So, anyway, <clears throat> we make it against Miami. And, um, you know, I wanted to go, but I was, in, I was in junior college. I had no hope to go. And, I mean, at the 11th hour, it was probably like December the 29th or 30th, we decided we would go. Me, two of my cousins, uh, my two brother-in-laws, and and their uncle, and that is key, their uncle, because uh, one brother-in-law uh, will be mentioned earlier, and he will remain nameless for protection of the innocent. And uh, the guys, both of them's uncle, so <laughs> we can rena- he can rena- remain anonymous. Excuse me. So December thirty first, we leave out of Red Bay, six hour ride. I'd never been to New Orleans. I'd been to New Orleans one time <clears throat> for the nineteen eighty Sugar Bowl. Now that was not the goal line stand. The goal line stand was a seventy nine game. This was the eighty game, the seventy nine season. We beat Arkansas. Lou Holtz led Arkansas to go back to back. And all I remember, I remember getting in the Superdome and seeing those uh, Razorback hog hats. I thought those were cool because heck, I was like five or six years old at the time. So as an adult, or even as a as a uh, a, uh, a older Ute in my formative years. I had never been to New Orleans, 
So uh, we get down there, and we'd heard to go to Pat O'Brien's, go to patios, patios. So uh, we we check in, and uh, me and one of my brother-in-laws and the uncle head out. And uh, we get into Pat O'Brien's. Gobert supposed to be there. Of course, this is way before cell phones. I don't even know if people had beepers back then, but we sure didn't have one. So we get into Pat O'Brien's, and if you've ever been to Bourbon Street, good luck finding someone if you have no clue where they're at because it's Bar Hop City. And we're walking into Pat O'Brien's, and there's a huge line, and we're like, what's this line for? They're like, it's for the, the Dillon Piano Bar. I mean, it's going to be, it's probably 7 o'clock, New Year's Eve. It's going to be easily three-hour wait. We run into some people from Red Bay we know. We zip in line, get in get in the uh, piano bar within 20 minutes, and we stay there the rest of the night. So uh, the next day, we're, we're getting around to the point of the story. So the next day, get up, you know, it's kegs and eggs. I've been drinking all, you know, drinking throughout the morning and on into the day and Slowly but surely, I'm like, you know what? I, I think we can beat this Miami squad. They had struggled with uh, with Syracuse. They had to hold off a late push by Syracuse, and they had been impressive in their wins offensively. But now they were instead of winning games thirteen, you know, thirteen to six, uh, seventeen to ten, they were winning games, um, you know, thirty six to twenty eight, you know, forty one to thirty seven. Uh, you know, this, their defense was good. They had a lot of NFL talent on that defense, but it just wasn't up to the Bama's, you know, the, the quality that we put out there. So we get in the game, and we have 50-yard line tickets. I think the tickets were 200 bucks a piece from a ticket broker. I mean, now from a ticket broker, you're looking at, what, 1200 1500 bucks. I think we paid $200 a piece. We are 50-yard line, yeah. 25 rows up. And rows one through row 24 is a sea of orange and green. We are the first row of Bama fans. I don't know how we scored the tickets, but we did. And um, so, you know, they're friendly. They fully expect to win. I mean, Lamar Thomas and all of them are out there uh, pregame dunking over the uh, dunking over the goalposts, just goofing off and, um, and you know, doing the Hulk Hogan uh, ear, uh, hand to the ear, like, come on, because Bama fans are booing unmercifully. And you got to think, this is the first time we've played for national title since 1979 season. So it's been 13 years. So Bama fans, Miami doesn't travel anyway. I guess is at least 70 30, maybe more towards 80 20. And you're talking about the roar. Uh, when Teague and, you know, when all the, you know, how the game played out, man, every, oh, yeah. every good play for Bama was just a roar. And um, the strip was a roar, just deafening in that dome. So, you know, again, drinking is the the name of this game and uh, the name of this story. And I, you know, I continued drinking during the game. And uh, there's a lady came up and she had a was Toretta was he 13? I think that sounds right. I think I so. Doesn't really matter. There's a le- lady came up with uh, you know his jersey on, and I mean she was an older lady, and uh, you know she was not not in her teens or, or early 20s. I mean, it's probably a, a parent. And um, somebody eventually said, I was right on the edge of the row, the row and a guy said, that's, that's Toretta's mom. I said, oh, really? Okay, okay. You know, this is second quarter. And so she kept coming up and coming down. You remember, he was in a fog. I mean, we, we dominated him. That's one of the best victories to this day uh, was the win over Miami. So – after he thrown his second or third interception, uh, you know Teague Teague picked one, uh, uh, jumped a slant route and picked it off, and uh, it was obvious we're going to win. She comes up the steps, and I step out in the aisle, and I hit the Heisman pose. He'd won the Heisman <laughs> year. I hit the Heisman pose at her, and I, of course I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> she was none too happy. She got her right hand, and pr- picture yourself holding a, a fat cigar. Uh-huh. You know how far your fingers are apart. She curled her fingers in, in like a claw, and she pushed those into my rib meat. I was not, I was a skinny guy at this point, but I was not in shape. A lot of, lot of fat, a lot of put, uh, cushion to grab. She grabbed my rib meat, and she twisted, and it hurt like crazy. But that, that is, that is the story of the night. I hit the Heisman pose to Gino Toretta's mom with him down thirty-four to thirteen. <laughs> Oh me! Oh, I love it. She uh, did. She did. She tore me up. But it was, uh, it, it was awesome. I mean, it just uh, such a memory for me at that age. We went to the team hotel after it and and got some autographs. Cause I was still in that uh, starstruck, you know, uh, phase at that point. 
And uh, but man, what a trip! And I, I've always uh, I've always thought of that story <laughs> and wanted to share it. Now a few people know it. Now, oh, that's now awesome. our nine listeners know it too. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up the meaningless topic of the day, which was very random. Uh, let's move on into our our games of the week, and we've got two. Um, of course, you know what one of them is, and the second one's going to be Michigan, Ohio State. Going to be short and sweet on that one. I figure we got a lot to say on the Iron Bowl. And Tom, I'm out of breath, so lead us off. Well, I mentioned this a while ago, though. This, I mean, this season has flew by, and and here we are in Iron Bowl week. As an aside, do you know why they call it the Iron Bowl? I guess because iron used to be mined in um, Birmingham. No, that has nothing to do with it at all. In nineteen forty-eight, Alabama beat Auburn fifty-five to nothing. It's a pretty good score, by the way. On that day, Alabama had a quarterback by the name of Ed Salem. He threw for three touchdowns, rushed for another TD, and kicked seven extra points. Also, he played safety on defense. He led the Tide in interceptions that year, by the way. (laughs) In this game, Auburn had a linebacker who was tasked with shadowing Ed Salem by the name of Ivan Drago. He was of Russian descent. In the locker room after the game, a reporter asked Ivan what what it was like to play against Ed on that day, and his response, he's not human, he's like a piece of iron. And from that day forward, this game became known as the Iron Bowl. A little tidbit for you guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I did just not know to make that. sure everybody was aware. Yeah, I think shortly thereafter, Birmingham got in the steel business too. So, <laughs> hey, it all kind of worked out. But, you know, as for Saturday, this will be Alabama's smallest <laughs> point spread since they were a one-and-a-half-point dog at Georgia, and that was four years ago. Alabama has not fared well as small favorites, unfortunately. You know, I saw a stat, I think it was before the LSU game, where we were well below 500 when we were a less than TD favorite. You know, that was straight up. We'd lost more than 50% of the time when we were favored by less than a touchdown. So that's not good. Um, Not a good way to start the week, and I didn't want to think about that, but you know, we're going down there to face that defense, and that defense is legit. They've contained everything except for Bobby Whitlow's drug habit. Oh, I said Bobby. It's Booby. Sorry, Booby. Uh, Auburn is 14th in total defense in the country. They're tough to move the ball on, you know, and, and they're going to give us fit Saturday. But here's what we can't have. We can't have a breakdown in our offensive line play where Mac Jones has to play under duress. Now, the offensive line, in my opinion, has been doing an absolutely wonderful job the last probably four weeks or more, which would include the LSU game. I think when we got old uh, boy back from suspension, um, I'm losing my mind. What's his name? The guard. Deontay, yeah. yeah. When we got Deontay, Deontay back, that that really turned the corner on that line. It took them a couple weeks to kind of get back up to speed, but you know they they're they're there. So, but uh, you know Max gonna have to uh, get the plays in early from the sideline. He's gonna have to make sure he's making the right reads. You can't expect him to be able to run the offense like Tua in that environment. It's gonna be loud, uh, you know. And and those two linemen, Davidson and Brown, for the barn. You know, they're, they're going to make him pay for some deficiencies in that category. So if they, we have a turnover, that could be very costly. could be a game changer. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't get Mac Jones where he's facing first and 15 because we didn't get the play in in time. Or something we've been riddled in yeah. this year was were penalties. Uh, that's where the offensive line is is really could use some some upgrades. They they block well, they pass protect wonderfully, but man, they are subject to to have a false starter ten in a game. And if if you put you know when two <laughs> is in there, it's not a whole lot of difference between first and ten and first and fifteen, but. With Mac in there, first and 15 is going to be a, a, a big thing to overcome from behind the sticks. We can't put him in that position. Um, you know, that's that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Now, I, I think Bama's going to need to run the crap out of Raj, uh, Najee Saturday, too. I think he needs at least 15 carries, but 20 would probably be the, the more optimum number. You know... 
we're only going to be able to rush it that many times mm-hmm. if we're having success with that, of course, and if we've, if we've controlled the game some. But he's going to have to be able to grind out those tough three, four, and five-yard gains. You know, those seem like such small gains – in the game we've been playing, the offensive game we've been playing all year. You know, you kind of look down there and and are disappointed when he pops one for four yards. That's going to be a great gain in this game, and that's something we need to take advantage of. Um, He'll also need to catch Mm -hmm. the ball well out of the backfield because, you know, two things are going to happen with those those defensive linemen that's bum-rushing the quarterback. You've got to keep them – you've got to keep them honest – uh, by running up the middle so that they just can't, you know, just pound up the field all night knowing you're going to drop back and pass. So he's going to have to get those tough yards. But he's also going to have to be able to recognize when he needs to pick up a blocker and when he can slip out of the backfield. That's something that I've seen personally that it looks like he struggled with or all our backs have struggled with a little bit this year. You know, when they're the outlet receiver on, a, you know, a sort of a check down play, they tend to get out of the backfield too quick, in my opinion. You know, they'll they'll uh, they'll leave before they pick up that block for the blitzing linebacker. Double team the one of those, you know, ends particularly for Auburn. We're going to need them to check that end uh, or or wherever that pressure is coming from before they make that decision. And there's an art to that. You know, good backs know when they can slip out and when they need to stay in there and chip or, or protect the quarterback. So that's something he's going to have to do well this weekend. Uh, lastly, you know, I think a, a big key to the game is that uh, Bama's defense is going to have to keep Auburn from winning the field position battle. Bama is one of the elite teams in the nation when it comes to punt and kickoff returns, and they can be huge in a game like this. 20 or 30 yards of field position flipping can change an entire half of football uh, particularly when you're talking about yards that are premium at three and four and five yards a pop, you get 20 or 30 on a return. I mean, that's a that's a real game changer. And so, I think the goal should be to get Waddle at least three return opportunities. Uh, they're not. They may or may not kick to him on, on the kickoffs, and I hope all his return opportunities ain't on kickoffs. Uh, but Punt returns is the biggest thing. If you can get Auburn punting from inside their 30-yard line, it's going to be tough for them to keep it away from him all night. So <laughs> you're going to have to be strategic. We, we hadn't had to be strategic in field position because, I mean, to be frank with you, most all of our drives end in touchdowns or field goals, uh, with two in the game, that is. So, so this is going to be a game we hadn't had to play all year. But it's one that we need to be able to play. We need to be able to get in a position where we can keep them pinned on their side of the Mm -hmm. field and give our return game an opportunity to be successful. Uh, I'm not going to offer a score prediction in this game. Last time I did that against LSU, I think I got to the heads of all the players who listened to our podcast. So so I'm not going to give any pixies this time. I say just go out and give some great effort, let the game play itself, and roll tight. Uh, you know we gotta we gotta survive the script. Auburn has is deadly on the script, and uh, we we've got to weather that. You know, hopefully field goal, miss field goal, you know, preferably punt. But uh, we don't need to go let them go down and get seven, especially if they if they receive the opening kickoff, which I hope they do. I hope we win the toss and defer. But uh, outside this game, outside of conference and national championships, this is the game that Saban was hired to come to Bama and win. Uh, you know, they're playing for nothing. We're playing for a what should be a playoff berth. And I know we have, we've kind of poo-pooed on the, in the very first segment about Utah getting in. I'm telling you, if we go to Auburn, if we win by 14-plus points, I don't think, I don't think they can keep us out. I mean, yeah, we some of the teams we played did not live up to expectation. You know what's funny is is one team that was terrible, quote unquote terrible, uh, when we beat them was Tennessee. They're bow eligible. They are not a bad team. I don't know what happened those first two weeks. You know that might be the key. That that could have been the key to our playoff season. Uh, would would if if they would have won those first two games, and you know they would be sitting after beating Vandy, they'd be eight and four, and they'd be ranked about what uh, seventeen. But uh, you know, it, if and buts, you know. But uh, on this game, I think the only matchup 
nod I give them is their defense over our offense and specifically their defensive line over our offensive line. I think I like our backs versus their linebackers, our backs and tight ends versus their backers. And, I mean, I love our uh, our receivers against their DBs. And I'm not saying their DBs aren't talented. They've got some kids back there that's probably going to play NFL. But but I know we've got some kids going to play NFL. We've got receivers going to go first round. And uh, and I, I really like that matchup. But I think uh, I think it's going to come down to quarterback play. And surprisingly, our backup's better than their starter. I don't think that's going to be very debatable. I know I know Mac has only played two full games, and the two full games he's played against Arkansas and Western Carolina. But you know he did what we needed to do in those games. He did not pull a Gene Stallings backup quarterback where we go out there and uh, and we you know we go uh, a twelve of twenty eight with one touchdown and two picks. I mean he he looked the part. You know the kid's a four star recruit. He was committed to Kentucky, and I know Kentucky is not a they're not Georgia or Florida or, or any team like that, but you know they uh they're not terrible. They're in the SEC for crying out loud. They're not named Vandy or Arkansas, but I think nepotism is. I think we get ahead, and I think nepotism is forced to read the field, and we get two picks and win going away. And I will say this: if we win, it's going to look like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, Bama. It's going to be a first and ten, second and seven, third and three. First down by a four-yard run by 22. And then it's going to be first and 10, uh, second and four, third and one, and then, and then you know, convert the first down. It's not going to be, like you said, the first and 10 and we hit a 27-yard pass and then we hurry up to the line and we hit a 50-yard touchdown. That just is not going to be in the cards. Um, I got the, the most depressing tweet of the day. Uh, since 1989, uh, Bama's 0-4 when both teams are ranked. Bama's 0-7 when Auburn is ranked. So the way I look at it is we're due. Now is that is that the record in Auburn? Because that doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, I'm looking deeper. I I don't think that's right. That that I don't know. It, it looked good uh, from a uh, from an Auburn <laughs> point of view. But you know that's what happens when you do live radio. And and if you didn't know, I also used to cite Wikipedia in college. Mm. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Twitter, Twitterverse, for throwing me that bogus stat. You know, I bet that guy listens to this podcast, and he's like, "I'll screw he those guys up." This right he did. In. He did. <laughs> All right, so that kind of wraps up. Uh, that wraps up the Iron Bowl. Um, second, the second game of the week is Michigan Ohio State, and I we're I'm gonna be short and sweet on this. I want to pick Michigan, but I think Shea is just too sporadic. Shea Patterson. It it, it will take a clean game by Michigan. And at least two turnovers by Ohio State, and they just they have not beaten themselves this year. I mean, you know, Fields fumbled going into the end zone against Penn State, and it looked like it really turned the tide, possibly could turn the tide, and Ohio State still won by eleven against a highly ranked team. So uh, I think the Ohio State D is just too much, and Coach Khaki takes the L yet again, and uh, Ohio State is this is they're in the playoffs. I mean they. To me, them and LSU, if they win this weekend, they're in the playoffs, regardless of what happens in the championship games. Maybe I think I think you're probably right. The big, the uh, we talked about it last week. You know, the big the big thing is is we didn't need Ohio State losing to Penn State, so we got a wish there. But this week's a little different. We could certainly use Michigan winning. Michigan winning would be big. Uh, Texas A and M beating LSU would be big. Either one mm-hmm. of those would be big, and uh, and, and it's going to take monumental upsets by either team, uh, you know, because if if you can get the undefeated team a loss in a game that they could potentially lose, and I think Ohio State's a far long shot from losing to Minnesota. Uh, that's who they get to play, right? Unless Minnesota loses their last game. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's right. So, so <laughs> you know, chances are they're not losing to Minnesota regardless, but. Uh, but, you know, if they go into that with one loss, uh, it guarantees that the loser is not in, which is mm-hmm. what we really would need for for uh, LSU. You know, A&M, if you got one game left, guys, if you got one left in you, if you got a bullet, crank it up. Let's see it because <laughs> it, would, it would certainly help my feelings if LSU and Georgia both had one loss going into that championship game. Uh, cause I, I really am. I'm, I'm a little fearful that, that Georgia pulls out some sort of 
miracle game there just because, hey, you know, I'm digressing from our uh, Michigan-Ohio State winner or uh, preview line, but, you know, if, if Georgia gets a little offense going, I'm sure we'll tackle this next week. But, uh, you know, a lot of teams can score on LSU, so they could be one of them. And, and LSU has played Auburn already, which is a very similarly elite defense, and, and they were held in check. So, Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michigan would help this weekend, but I'm like you, I don't see it. Uh, they don't, they have not showed. They they played better of late, but some of that, I can't get that Wisconsin game out of my mind. <laughs> that was a complete dismantling, and so uh, they'll they'll have to they'll have to do something they hadn't done all year, which has surprised me in the Ohio State game, and I I don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. And a shocking development uh, this week. Tom went two and zero in in his bets. Dude, yes. Come on. Uh, I'm not happy right now. I am not happy. The music is my stick. <laughs> Ooh, two you and can oh, baby. Call my agent. It only took me. Call from my agent after this. <laughs> it because only took me music eleven weeks thing. or twelve weeks. I forget. Oh yeah, we had week zero. Twelve weeks. <laughs> two and oh, baby. Is the Arizona State outright winner? Winner chicken dinner over Oregon and A and M. Uh, they never. I don't think A and M was ever not covering, were they? They they never got down by more than thirteen in that game. So both easy easy winners, easy 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 winners. And if you could have seen me right then, you'd seen I was over here dancing real woke like. (laughs) Well, I went one and one, and it's a merciful one and one. UAB closed out at six and a half, and they won by six. But on the podcast, I go by Vegas Insider, and <laughs> as of last Tuesday, UAB had them at five and a half. And hey, I've done it the other way. I, I've missed a game by a point or point and a half, and I've, I've taken my L. So I'm Gotta gonna take the get it in early, time. boys. And I had, I had the U outright winners by twenty and a half <laughs> over. Florida International, they got smoked. <laughs> so yeah, I took it on the chin. Uh, man, we're way over time tonight, and if the listeners only knew the drama that unfolded earlier. But drama, that's, that's, drama. You don't want to, trust me, you don't want to, just enjoy your breakfast. You do not want to know how the sausage is made. Who you got for a Lines of Interest <laughs> Week 12? Oh, well, you know, since I'm coming off a 2 and oh, uh, I feel hot. I really do. I feel, I feel really hot. Um, I'm going to go with... Memphis minus 11 over Cincinnati. This line is way, 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 way out of whack. Both teams are 10 and 1. They both play in the American Conference. There's no way the line should be this high. Vegas knows something here. I'm going to roll with the Vegasites. I think that's what you call them. Or do you call them the I think vegans? They're vegans. The yeah. Vegans. I got you. Um, <laughs> second game, Tennessee minus the twenty-one over Vandy. This is probably one you had under your belt. I'm sure this is this, these are the is. types of games yep, you I like. Did. Yep, Vandy will get back to being Vandy against Tennessee this week. They will take out some frustrations on the Commodores this year because, frankly, they can. And they hadn't been able to in the past couple, two or three years. This one will get ugly, and they will make no apologies for it. Now, before before I get into your two-game parlay that you're going to throw on us, I have a repeat guest picker. <laughs> All right, Daryl Gober. He's he's he knows what he's doing. Sometimes I just like to get him in here and let him mix it up a little bit. I started to let him pick in my place since I was riding a hot streak and I didn't want to ruin it, but I thought I'd go ahead and pull the trigger on a couple. But 
Gober went ahead and sent me his play, so I'm going to play him on his behalf. He's got Oklahoma State plus 13.5 over Oklahoma. I hope he's taking some of your plays, by the way, too. <laughs> I, uh, this is not part of the podcast. Another call from my agent will be in order. <laughs> and he has Colorado plus the 28.5 over Utah. So he's taking. Uh, he's going against both Oklahoma and Utah. I like to call this the too much pressure parlay. What you got, buddy? <laughs> I call it the I call it the fu bet. All right, I, <laughs> he did not take any of my games. I have a And M plus seventeen at LSU. I I just think I, yeah, I think LSU all LSU has to do is win one of the next two to get in. I think they win this one, but I think a And M keeps it inside the number. And I've got I actually changed this when I had it typed out. Florida minus seventeen and a half over Florida State, but man. Florida State, you know, fired their coach. The interim is there, kind of like Ogeron from a few years ago. The players are wanting uh, the the interim to get it. He's the most popular guy on campus. And uh, and Florida State, I saw some crazy stat. Of course, it's on Twitter, so who knows if it's correct. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm taking Florida State plus 17 and a half. So, take, go ahead. Oh, so, do, not only are you not double? taking Florida, you're flip-flopping. <clears throat> oh, I'm flipping it. I'm flipping it. Flip the script. Wow. Take wow. a, if if your bookie takes it if he takes a six game box turn it would probably pay two hundred fifty <laughs> to one. Of course, if he loses it, he probably loses it one twenty five to one. But uh, take it those six games blood bank guarantee. There Instagram model of the week I, this week. Caitlin, you got something else? Go ahead. I was just gonna say, hey, uh, d- make sure you tune in next week. <clears throat> Uh, after the regular season, so we can recap how much a million dollar better would have made with us this year. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Instagram model of the week is Caitlin Heffler. She is a student at the University of Alabama. You can find her at Caitlin.Heffler. That is K A T E L Y N dot H E F F L E R. And uh, she's a beaut, but the main reason I chose her is because she goes to Bama and roll MF Tide, baby. What Kate you got? Lynn! I, sent you, <laughs> I sent you a picture. That story will have to come out eventually. I sent you a pic. What do you think? How does she measure up to Deb? She's the closest we've come so far to either Deb or the horse, mainly because she's a Bama fan. So I'm going to give her a very, very high prop. She's probably going to make the top three at the end of the year. Uh, she didn't quite eke out, I, I, but Caitlin, hey, this was an effort, baby. This was a great effort. All right, guys, it has been a great regular season. Thank you for listening. Remember, if you're traveling from Tuscaloosa to Auburn this weekend, you go east till you smell it, and then you go south till you step in it. RMFT, baby. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. Roll time.